So what are you going to do? What are the options? I don't have any options right now. Daycare crisis. A working mom forced to make an impossible choice with summer fast approaching. BC flood watch. The region's facing new risks and an evacuation alert with more rain on the way. We're watching the classic case of two wrongs don't make a right. And reckless behavior caught on camera. Truckers in a high stakes game of highway chicken. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. And we start with the looming crisis for a lot of parents when summer comes. Daycares are full, day camps are scaled back, and childcare options for some families are non existent. Grace Key has the story of one White Rock mom forced to consider giving up the job she loves to care for her child when school ends. One, two, three. Time is running out for single mom Alicia Ludlow. School is out in a couple more weeks and she hasn't been able to find a daycare or summer camp for six-year-old son Jacob. Ted, what are you not here? I come. June 23rd, um, my, my kid graduates kindergarten and I have no stability for my son and no daycare and no summer camps. And it's very difficult for me to <sighs> grasp the... A stability for my son and show my son that I'm going to work and he sees me get up and you know I want to be an example a role model for him that he can do the same things that I'm doing right you know I work so hard to become where I'm where I'm at and they shine and they shine and they shine all around the $10 child care program is expected to double by the end of the year to 12,500 spaces through a partnership with the federal government still there isn't enough space to meet demand but one group says there is a solution the school act encourages school districts to provide child care and so this there's no reason why school districts can't and shouldn't be accommodating the same kids that are attending that school between 9 and 3 before and after school care and during the summer. We should be using schools year-round. They're public facilities. Taxpayers like you and I are, are funding the schools. They should be operational 12 months a year, meeting the needs of the kids and families in the community. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot! Oh. Alicia works as a plumber. As if finding a daycare or camp isn't tough enough, she has early morning hours that can also make it difficult to find childcare. I'm scared. 23rd's coming up pretty quick and it's... I'm breathing, but at the same time, if I have to put my letter in to support my son and be there for my son, I have to, right? If something doesn't come through for Alicia soon, like many other parents, she's not sure what she'll do when school ends. Grace Key, Global News. Well, this is a big day for people wanting to fly to the United States. The U.S. no longer requires pre-departure negative COVID tests. It's the latest in a growing list of COVID restrictions fading into history. But there is one place where a COVID ban remains stubbornly enforced. Paul Johnson takes us to Peace Arch Park, which to this day is still closed. May these gates never be closed. Those are the words actually written on the iconic Peace Arch at the Canada-U.S. border. This area is the only place in the entire Canada-U.S. border that there's an international peace park that people can you know, cross into either side from either country and share the same space and be together. Lori Troutman is about as close as you can come to a border expert. She runs an institute that studies the border at Bellingham's Western Washington University. 
and recalls how in the early days of the pandemic, Peace Arch Park's unique and open status was suddenly a haven for people separated by a closed border. They came here in droves and a lot of those people were also unmarried couples who couldn't see each other because of the border restrictions. But that didn't last. Worries about COVID transmission, parking, and the sense that people were exploiting a loophole triggered the closure of the Canadian side of the park. But two years later, with most of Canada vaccinated and the border mostly reopened, the Canadian side of the park is still closed. Which is perplexing to many of us who have studied the park and looked at the park. It turns out the Canadian side of the park is run by the Provincial Environment Ministry, who told Global News they intend to keep it closed indefinitely because they're not able to check vaccine status or ensure visitors meet the border entry requirements. Some find that baffling, given that accessing the park has nothing to do with actually crossing into Canada, and the ministry isn't concerned about the vaccine status of people visiting any of its other parks. It's a mystery why access to the park and the park opening would have anything to do with Canadian entry requirements. And for Troutman, it's more than just an academic pursuit. She's also organizing a Cascadia cooperation event for the fall that they'd hoped could visit the Peace Arch. But with Victoria insisting it stay closed, this hands-across-the-border celebration will have to stay on the American side of the park. At the border, Paul Johnson, Global News. The B.C. Liberals have wrapped up their convention in Penticton and they may not be called the B.C. Liberals for much longer. In one of their major decisions, delegates approved the process to change the party name. And we'll bring in Keith Baldry now to discuss what could be a watershed moment for the opposition, Keith. Yeah, the word liberal has been on a provincial ballot in every election, spare three of them, since 1903. This current edition of BC Liberals only formed in 1987, formally separating from Ottawa, but they've held power for a number of years. Some of them now think that uh, the name liberal is a drag on their fortunes. So again, people meeting in Penticton, hundreds of delegates uh, to the BC Liberal Convention there, uh, talking about why they are in such significant trouble right now as a result of really getting shellacked in the 2020 election. Kevin Falcon, the leader there, telling delegates this is all about the need for renewal. It starts with a name, but it has to go deeper than that. Here's Mr. Falcon. And it also means being serious about renewal, a kind of renewal that's already underway, that's expanding our party, that's growing our party, that's bringing people into our party, the big tent that I always talk about. And that makes sure that we're a party that's a welcome home for everyone that shares our principles, regardless of what gods they may choose to pray to or who they decide to love. They're welcome in this BC Liberal Big Ten party. That's a good thing. Well, one of the sessions this weekend was called Winning in the City. What do you think the party has to do to pick up seats in Metro Vancouver and other urban settings? Well, they've got to be more diverse and more appealing, more reflecting the demographic uh, uh, makeup of society, which was not the case in 2017 or 2020. Here are the writings we're talking about. Eight writings in Metro Vancouver that they lost to the NDP, in some cases by significant margins, in some cases historical wins to the NDP. Surrey Cloverdale, the two Langley writings, Coquitlam Burke Mountain, North Vancouver Seymour, Vancouver uh, False Creek, and the two Richmond writings. This used, these used to be writings, Chris, that were won fairly easily by the Liberals or by the 
there are precursors to social credit. The NDP made a breakthrough in 2020, perhaps reflective of the fact there's changing demographics out there. Interestingly, the NDP put out a news release in the last hour. They had people at the convention, and they talked when it comes to diversity and, and changing the makeup and such. Seven of 21 speakers were women. They had that winning in the city committee you talked about, but no, one, no representation from places like Richmond, Surrey, and the Fraser Valley, and Richmond. So again, unless they can start getting through to people in those writings, the unlikely event would be, uh, even with a name change, unlikely success at the electoral time. Seems like there is still a lot of work to do. Thanks yeah. very much, Keith Baldry in Victoria. Thanks, Keith. Well, several investigations are underway tonight after disturbing dash cam video was posted online capturing a near collision involving two semi-trucks on a B.C. highway, one of them barreling along in the oncoming lanes, the other driver going in the same direction but refusing to yield. Kristen Robinson reports. They're basically playing chicken with each other, but they're both going in the same direction. The dangerous game between two semi-trucks happened on Highway 97, south of 100 Mile House. Both drivers are at fault here. Dashcam footage posted to the Skilled Truckers Canada Facebook page Friday shows the driver of a white semi-truck trying to pass a red semi on a double solid yellow line. The driver of the red truck accelerates in an attempt to block the pass, which forensic traffic consultant Grant Gottgatru says is illegal. The truck that was doing the passing should have just slowed right down and pulled in behind. But then he decided to... I'm going to just run the other truck off the road. The red semi driver then forced into the shoulder lane where they overtake the white semi. He passes him on the shoulder. We're watching the classic case of two wrongs don't make a right. That could have easily been a, a huge collision. Chambers Transportation Group will be conducting a full safety review of the very serious near miss. The type of driving behavior shown in the video is unacceptable and we will take immediate action, says its president. BC's Transportation Ministry says its Commercial Vehicle Safety and Enforcement Branch will prioritize identifying both vehicles and drivers to determine appropriate action. They put everyone at risk, including themselves. Regardless of what occurred before this video, Gottgatru says the clip shows multiple infractions and he believes both drivers should be fired and charged. Both drivers were in the wrong, and both drivers should face significant sanctions. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Today marks the beginning of National Blood Donor Week, and one Vancouver man who owes his life to blood donations is a story worth telling. In 2014, Paul Dragon lost almost 80% of his blood when he was shot in an ambush by a disgruntled former employee. Amata Gahi speaks with a man who's living proof you can give the gift of life. So I think we have some more 20-inch tubes. We can line those up a little bit more, right? On a sunny day in downtown Vancouver, where Davie Street meets the Yale Town seawall, you're likely to find Paul Dragon happily tending his bike shop. Had you only met Paul today, you'd be shocked to learn it was in this very spot where eight years ago he nearly lost his life. I had this massive blood loss and no heartbeat. It was June 10th, 2014, when Dragon was shot by an ex-employee and tenant, Gerald Battersby, in front of a Starbucks. In those critical moments after the attack, while being rushed to care, he had lost 80% of his blood. Once they were able to get me to the trauma center, 
They needed incredible medical expertise and they needed blood. Dragon says doctors needed 60 units of donated blood to keep him alive. That hospital was on blood alert because had there been a car accident or another major trauma and someone needed blood, they didn't have enough because they gave it to me. Since the traumatic event, which he now calls his accident, Dragon has become an advocate for blood donation, now sharing his story to bring awareness to the National Blood Donor Week. According to the Canadian Blood the National Blood Inventory has declined by 25% since the start of April, and it is estimated that 100,000 new donors are needed to keep up with the projected needs. It's good there. This is good. Paul Dragon says he has been donating blood ever since he's been healthy enough to do so, calling it the gift of life. It's like giving an anonymous donation to a charity. Nobody's going to know where that blood came from. No one will ever know. But when people need it, they really need it. Emadagahi, Global News. All right. A Vancouver woman is setting out early Monday morning on a quest to set a record and raise awareness about a devastating disease. Bianca Hayes makes her final preparations in Vancouver for an attempt to cycle across Canada in record time leaving Vancouver City Hall in the early hours and reaching Halifax in just 15 days. She's doing it to set a Guinness World Record, but more importantly, to raise money and awareness for ovarian cancer, which took her sister's life four years ago. So we wish her good luck along the way and good weather, because Yvonne Shell is here now with some breaking news regarding the weather in B.C. and the risk of flooding in some areas. Yvonne. Yeah, we're all tracking this system that is going to bring a significant amount impact and a prolonged period of rain. And that's really going to be the big concern. It'll track its way. It's actually working its way from Montana. It'll push its way in towards Alberta. And the southeastern corners and the southern interior will be the target of the system. And the timeline, Monday leading in towards our Tuesday, this will be key. We have a significant amount of rain. It'll be heavy at times. And the amounts that we're tracking, the highest amounts for the Elk Valley, 15 up to 80 millimeters. I anticipate that Fernie will see some of the high, heavier amounts and highest amounts. East Kootenay will see 30 and up to 50 millimeters. Okanagan Valley, Shuswap, Arrow Lakes, West and East Columbia, anywhere between 20 and up to 40 millimeters. All areas in gray, that's where we're tracking the special weather statement and the rainfall warning is for the southeastern corners of the province. I wanted to outline that we are going to see that upgraded to the flood watch for the southeastern corners of the province and the forecast. So we will continue to see an increase in the river levels. They may exceed bankful. Areas near Fernie, I wanted to point out, we're likely going to see it peak for our Wednesday and Thursday so far. With the heavy rain, though, the ingredients are there. We're seeing the potential for some snowfall. If you're traveling along the mountain passes, I'll show you where and how much coming up very shortly. Chris? All right. Can't wait for the details there. Thanks very much, Yvonne. And coming up, 3D printing evolves. This is literally what it looks like coming off our printer. The BC company creating just about anything Hollywood can dream up. And exclusive details from the threat on Parliament Hill and the tip that set off a major police response. The special stories that shape our province, as suggested by our viewers. This is BC with Jay Durant. Real people, real stories. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you in part by Van Cam Freightways, BC owned and operated for 75 years. Gas prices are sky high across the country and many people are already reconsidering their summer holiday plans. B.C. has some of the highest prices in the country and as Julia Foy shows us, there isn't much hope it'll improve before your next road trip. 
As summer approaches on the South Saskatchewan River, the Prairie Lily Riverboat is preparing for business, but it won't come cheap. To top up the fuel tank was around eight or nine hundred dollars. Uh, I'm going to be topping it up again next week. I expect it to be two thousand dollars to fill this uh, fuel tank on this ship. Strecken says the rising costs of fuel could cut his customer base. Tourism is based on people having a few extra dollars that they can go on a trip that they can go on a riverboat ride. It's all based on having that little bit of extra income. In Toronto, drivers putting the brakes on summer trips when the price per litre hit $2.11. But you can't even go anywhere anymore now. It's pretty pricey. This was like 100 bucks to fill, now it's like 140 150 Energy watchers say get used to it. I think this is the new normal. Uh, there are days when it may go a little higher. There are days when it might drop a little bit, but... Uh, I sense that uh, demand is still very strong stateside. Uh, there is uh, a shortage uh, of supply in terms of uh, being able to provide an adequate uh, provision to uh, the economy. Some provinces, including Ontario, are giving consumers a break at the pump starting Canada Day by cutting fuel taxes. Others are still asking for a break. I think they're outrageous. I think I think the government should be taking some of the taxes off. People are hurting, you know. Something has to be done. In BC, with the highest gas prices in the country, the numbers aren't dropping. I drive a hybrid. So some are moving to hybrid or electric cars. It's helped me a lot. Yeah. I feel $600 less. So whether you plan to travel on a BC ferry or the Prairie Lily Riverboat. Expect to pay a little more to play this summer. Julia Foy, Global News, Vancouver. New details are emerging about a major police incident on Parliament Hill that forced a lockdown of parts of downtown Ottawa on Saturday. We have exclusive details from Global's Ottawa Bureau Chief, Mercedes Stevenson. Heavily armed police descended on Parliament Hill and some surrounding streets on Saturday afternoon, looking for what police then believed was a credible threat concerning explosives potentially in vehicles on or around Parliament Hill based on a supposedly solid tip. But now police in the capital are questioning the credibility of the warning that subsequently turned up nothing. And tell Global News they think they likely received a bad tip, according to two senior security sources. The information provided to law enforcement was detailed, according to a source who saw the notice to officers, which included names, photographs and car license plate numbers. Two cars were searched and three people were apparently detained, but police found no explosives and those individuals were released, according to multiple sources. Emergency call logs obtained by Global News show that police identified one of the vehicles they were looking for at a busy intersection in downtown near the hill. Officers had someone in custody and a perimeter established around the vehicle by 1.42 p.m. It was cleared before 3 p.m. Just before clearing that scene, police became aware of a second vehicle near the Supreme Court, which they also surrounded and searched. Same outcome, and that scene was cleared just after 3.30 p.m. Multiple police and national security sources told Global News the police action was triggered by intelligence from the Canada Border Services Agency that was deemed credible at the time and resulted in multiple security agencies responding, including the RCMP's Terror Investigation Unit. There are now questions in the national security world about who provided the initial information and how it was verified. The Canada Border Services Agency would not confirm or deny their involvement to Global News, saying they do not comment on ongoing investigations.
CSIS told Global News that they have no information and the Ottawa police have not responded to our requests for comment. Mercedes Stevenson, Global News, Calgary. Coming up, for many Americans, failure is not an option. How U.S. lawmakers seem poised to finally do something about reasonable gun laws, even if it falls short of what some had hoped. Plus, disturbing allegations against a group of white supremacists busted near a Pride event in Idaho. Thirty-one men are facing charges in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, accused of planning to violently disrupt a Pride Festival this weekend. We get the latest from Lilia Luciano of CBS News. These guys stopped a U-Haul full of dudes, masked up. Police in Coeur d'Alene pulled over a U-Haul, finding 31 suspected white supremacists packed inside. They were zip-tied and arrested, accused of planning to riot. They had shields, shin guards, um, and other riot gear with them, including uh, at least one smoke grenade. The police chief said the dozens arrested on misdemeanor conspiracy charges appear to be members of Patriot Front, a hate group according to the Southern Poverty Law Center. A concerned citizen called 911 to report them. Based on the gear that the individuals had all with them, uh, the stuff they had um, in the possession and in the U-Haul with them, along with paperwork that was seized from them, that they came to riot downtown. The group was stopped just blocks away from an LGBTQ pride parade. The quote that we received through dispatch was, it quote, looked like a little army that was loading up into the vehicle. The suspects come from 12 states, among them Thomas Ryan Rousseau. He's one of the leaders of the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, that turned deadly in 2017. You can see in the back of the U-Haul, looks like a flag and what looks to be a shield. The arrests come just five days after the Department of Homeland Security issued a bulletin warning the country is under a heightened threat environment and that domestic violent extremism remains one of the biggest threats to the nation's safety. Lilia Luciano, CBS News, Los Angeles. A group of U.S. senators has reached a bipartisan deal for new gun control measures, finally bowing to pressure after mass shootings in New York and Texas. The plan emphasizes improving school safety, mental health programs, and funding. However, the proposal does not implement tougher measures that President Joe Biden and many Democrats have been calling for. It doesn't include, for example, a ban on assault weapons or raise the legal age to purchase semi-automatic rifles or any new safe storage rules. Still, if passed, it will be the first significant gun reform in nearly three decades. Who knows, you know, they can always say all these things, but if it really passes, you know, that's a different, you know. But I'm glad that, you know, if they'll come together into a consensus to do something, then that's, yeah. We'd love to see it. <laughs> Just ahead, the joy of sports. I really love those. An event that makes sure everyone can get in the game. The 29th annual Sun Life Walk to Cure Diabetes took place this morning in Vancouver Stanley Park. The event brings together people living with type 1 diabetes with the goal of raising $2.8 million to fund research. 
Organizers say some of the money will go towards developing new technology that might eliminate insulin dependence in the future. 300,000 Canadians live with type 1 diabetes, and this year marks 100 years since the first successful injection of insulin. There have been many advances in diabetes devices, which make diabetes easier and safer and healthier each day, but also into cures for the disease. Some of these uh, advances include the use of stem cells as a treatment to cure type 1 diabetes, and clinical trials in progress really show that these treatments can produce insulin and may one day allow people to get off insulin altogether. Thankfully, they got some great weather for it because that is not what a lot of people in this <laughs> province province are getting over the next little while. Yvonne joins us now with some details. We talked about it earlier and some flood watches and other problems in the interior. Yeah, we are continuing to be on flood watch, especially for the southern half, and this is really going to start to pick up for tomorrow and continuing in towards our Tuesday. I'll have more on that coming up in just a moment. We'll start off on the south coast and for Metro Vancouver. We managed to see a few breaks in there. A bit of instability, though, as we get in overnight and for tomorrow morning. We'll have a chance of showers, so heads up, getting ready for work and school. Temperatures are sitting at 17, and it's breezy. The winds right now, gusts of up to 30. Areas closer to the water tonight and into tomorrow we'll see gusts closer to 50 kilometers per hour. Overnight I've left in a chance of showers and for tomorrow morning. It's just a 30% chance there'll be a fair bit of cloud cover. I anticipate we'll actually start to see some breaks as we get in through the day tomorrow. 16 will be the high but keep in mind the wind's anywhere between 20 and up to 50 kilometers per hour. It'll be a breezy one. It's very spotty for all areas along the south coast. The island will be included within that. The big weather story is for the southern interior and extending right in towards the southeastern corner. So the system towards the south in Montana will work its way in as early as this evening for a few spots, but the bulk of it Monday leading in towards our Tuesday morning. Here are some of the rainfall warnings and special weather statements that are in effect. The area of concern will be for the Elk Valley. 15 up to 80 millimeters. Fernie will see some of the higher amounts. East Kootenai between 30 and 50. And for the Okanagan Valley, Shuswap, Arrow Lakes, East and West Columbia, 20 and up to 40 millimeters will take us in towards our Tuesday morning. Now, with it, the heavy rain, this is what we're anticipating. It's actually going to drop the snow level, and this is a big concern. If you're traveling along the mountain passes, we're going to have winter driving conditions. And the key area, check in with drivebc.ca for the latest road conditions, but this will be Highway 3 from the Paulson Summit to Kootenai Pass. Snow level sitting closer to 1,500 meters. Areas in the Okanagan closer to 1,700 meters, but we could see some wet snow and accumulating near the summit with up to 15 centimeters. This will begin Monday night and take us in towards our Tuesday morning. So heavy rain is actually going to drop that freezing level and we are going to be tracking snow as well. So lots of active weather if you're traveling into the southern half of the province. We still have the flood warning. That is when we'll see the bank, will exceed bankful rather. The Layard River, Fort Nelson, Highway 97 included within that. And for the flood watch, that's in towards the Nelson and Creston areas and that's been upgraded through the day today. Northern half looks drier. A bit of a break for most areas, partly cloudy into the central interior. Heavy rain Monday, and leading in towards our Tuesday in the southeastern corners could see additional rainfall amounts with the risk of thunderstorms. Along the south coast, we'll see those showers for the morning hours possible, a few breaks in there. It is going to warm up, but we'll have to wait towards the end of the week and a few isolated showers to kick things off for Monday, Tuesday. Chris? All right. Thanks for the update very much, Yvonne. Just before we check in with Barry, after a two-year hiatus, the Canucks Autism Network Sports Day returned to BC Place today. It's been pretty good. I love going to the sky train. And it's going awesome. I really love those. <laughs> love that enthusiasm. 
Josiah is one of more than 2,700 people participating in the Canucks Autism Network Day at BC Place. It's a special day, obviously, open exclusively to those who live on the autism spectrum and their families. Participants circled through nine sports stations that were supported by training staff and representatives of several pro sports teams, including the Canucks, Whitecaps and BC Lions. This is such an uh, um, accepted atmosphere yeah. and supportive um, that um, we can have the kids play and interact in different sports um, that they might not normally in like regular settings because they're rough. The kids are rougher and, and this whereas this is a gentler atmosphere. So happy that those kids get a chance. I mentioned the BC Lions. Barry, what a showing yesterday for the team. Uh, I think most people are still going, uh, wow, what happened? Did I see what I just saw? Yeah. Uh, one of the most impressive things uh, really ever. I mean, every team would love to get off to a start like that, and the Lions did it. Whatever they wanted to do, they did. So we'll take a look back at the Lions' huge win over Edmonton and a big golf day. RBC Canadian Open going on, of course, in Toronto. But across the border, Brooke Henderson, the Canadian, wins on the LPGA Tour. So the highlights of all that as well. All right, looking forward to that. Thanks, Yvonne. Thank you, Barry. Just ahead, also a gift to bees. You might not like those dandelions on your lawn, but they sure do. And if you leave them alone, it can really pay off. An apparent turpentine spill has killed dozens, maybe even hundreds of young salmon in Coquitlam. You can still smell a turpentine-like odor in the four, or 400 block of Myrna Road. Residents in the area got a whiff of contamination late yesterday and called Global News to report it. The dead fish were spotted a short time later. The fire department responded and, as you can see, put down some absorbent pads on the stream. But no one else is commenting about this. And we continue to seek answers about what the source of that spill was. Well, to some homeowners... Dandelions are a blight on otherwise perfectly manufactured, manicured green lawns. But in Prince George, there's a new push to let dandelions do their thing and grow as a source of food for bees. We get the story from Anthony Correa of CKPG News. When we open a hive in a few minutes, you'll probably be able to, be able to smell the dandelion honey that the, the bees are, are making. It's hard to believe how many dandelions have grown this year. While they may not look aesthetically pleasing on your lawn, they are very important to the bee population as it is one of their sources of nectar after a long winter. Because they've just come through a hard winter and uh, they haven't had anything to eat necessarily other than what they've stored either in their bodies or in the hives and, uh, or in their nest. And so uh, that's why it's so important. When they do sprout on your lawn, it's important to try and avoid spraying dandelions with pesticides or weed killers as it can end up hurting bees in the short and long term. What happens is uh, the bees pick up the pollen, which is now contaminated. They bring it back to the hive. They're trying to raise their young uh, with contaminated uh, pollen. Uh, which is their protein, right? And then you end up, yeah, it just creates a vicious cycle. It may not kill the bees outright, but it certainly makes them weaker, sicker. Annie Booth is a professor at UMBC, and she says there are some other ways to maintain a clean lawn without using pesticides, which can be very detrimental to the bees. 
Dandelions are cool with monoculture, just one crop, uh, like grass, but if you put in a lot of shrubs and flowers and plants uh, and vegetables, there's less room for the dandelion to grow. What you want to do is cut them down um, just after they've stopped flowering, uh, before they go to the little puffball. So if you do see dandelions, the best practice is to leave them alone for the bees. Or you can make a wish and spread them around our community. Anthony Korea, CKPG News. Coming up after a break, Barry will have sports and later a BC company takes its 3D innovations from science fiction to global reality. Stay with us. Concord Pacific Dragon Boat Festival is back. Watch the newest generation of boats hit the water at the Dragon Boat Festival. Plus, enjoy performances including the Zolas, cultural pavilions, and public art with free admission on the shores of False Creek. Explore an immersive new experience at the Vancouver Aquarium Wildlife Rescue Miracles and Conservation. Get up close and personal to endangered animals and hands-on with interactive displays. VancouverAquarium.com for info. For RBC, I'm Michael Newman. Celebrating Pride Month with Inside Pride, a Global News special series. Go to globalnews.ca and click on the Inside Pride tab. Barrett Lay joins us now with sports. Big news in the world of golf today. It was a good weekend for it. Yeah, you know, Canadians shining all over the place in mm -hmm. North America. Thanks, Chris. Uh, while the PGA Tour was in her home province of Ontario for the RBC Canadian Open, Brooke Henderson stole the spotlight with a tremendous come-from-behind victory at the ShopRite LPGA Classic in New Jersey. Henderson fired a 7-under-64 to get into a playoff and then won it on the first hole for her 11th career LPGA victory, the most pro wins by any Canadian in golf history. Brooke finished second at this tournament last year after going low in the final round, and she had the pedal down early today. Second shot on the par-5 ninth crushes it onto the green and uh, that would lead to an eagle and she was right in the mix at 10 under they'll jump to 18 and another par five this is a lengthy eagle putt and uh doesn't make it but a nice lag to within a couple inches tapped in for birdie post 12 under she would end up going to a playoff against american lindsey weaver wright so they go right back to 18 for the first playoff hole again brooke pulverizing the fairway metal to about six feet Wow, what a shot under pressure. And then Brooke will finish off in style. Sinks the eagle putt for the victory, the 11th of her career, and the first in 14 months. And a nice payday as well, $262,000 U.S. for Brooke Henderson. Rory McIlroy obviously loves playing in Canada. He's had two career starts at the RBC Canadian Open. He's won both of them. Back in 2019, McIlroy fired a final round 61 in Hamilton to win the title. And with no tournaments the past two years because of COVID, Rory was the defending champ. And today at St. George's in Toronto, he shot a sparkling 8-under-62 to win the trophy yet again. St. George is playing a little easier today. It's been tough this week, kind of U.S. Open-like conditions, but the wind was down. Greens were a little slower. 
Canadian Corey Connors tied for the second lowest round of the day in 8-under 62. Thanks to that eagle, he was 6th. Adam Svensson, 21st. Nick Taylor, 28th. Adam Hadman, 35th. So a good week for the BC boys. Rory McIlroy showing early he was ready to defend. Five birdies on the front, including this chip-in birdie from the rough on 6. Takes the lead. Justin Thomas also bringing his A game. Of course, won the PGA Championship just a few weeks ago. Beautiful tee shot on the par 3. Led to a birdie. With a stayed within striking distance of McElroy. He played in the final group with uh, Rory and Tony Finau. It was quite a show they put on. But this guy, too, Justin Rose, had quite the day. He had three eagles hold out on the par four first and then a couple on the par fives. This one at 11. The 59 watch was on for him. Rose now at the 17th. This is his approach on the par four. And he gets it to within just a few inches. So he would birdie that. He was 11 under. If he just pars 18, he gets a 59, but he bogeyed, so he shot a 60. Oh, well, not bad. Finished tied for fourth. Back to the final group. McElroy from 40 feet at the 12th. This will go down for birdie. Got to 19 under. Stretches the lead to three. The crowd is really roaring for Rory on this day, but he wasn't home yet. Tony Finau in that final group. Staying in the hunt. Knocks it in. And uh, he's just, and uh, he would actually end up finishing solo second. Then at 14, Justin Thomas with the birdie got it to 17 under. He would eventually tie McElroy, so that three shot lead was gone. They're even playing 17. But on that hole, after uh, Thomas was in the rough and had some trouble, this is Rory's response. Look at this shot. Rolls it to within a couple of feet. He would make that birdie. Thomas, meanwhile, bogeyed, so the lead was back up to two. And so Rory can do that little bounce step. When he's confident, he's got the bounce going, and they were loving it in Toronto. Huge crowd letting him hear it. He was definitely the fan favorite. And then at 18, another birdie, 8 under 62, 19 under par, a two-shot win. And Rory McIlroy defends his Canadian Open title, heading to the U.S. Open next week in fine form. BC Lions owner Amar Doman has to be absolutely thrilled after his team came out and made a statement in their season opener last night at BC Place, crushing the Edmonton Elks 59 to 15. It started with the One Republic concert pre, uh, pregame and the Lions players just kept the energy and the momentum going, putting on an offensive display we have not seen from this team in many years. Well, the Lions certainly took that cue, and they were running all right. Rough shot over the Edmonton Elks in one of the most dominant Lion wins in recent memory. The early star was running back James Butler, who scored two touchdowns in the first quarter alone. What a start for James Butler! And then he scored two more in the second quarter. His four touchdowns tying G. Roy Simon for the most TDs in a single game. I would say just, just playing with more confidence. And like, like I was saying last year, just kind of the team believing in me and, you know, giving me a little bit more opportunities. You know, as, as a running back, you kind of get a better feel for the game the more you kind of get the ball. The Lions were also led by their 24-year-old Canadian quarterback, Nathan Rourke, who showed the fans and the rest of the CFL what his teammates and coaches have been saying all training camp. This kid is for real. He's not only talented, but he's got the poise and leadership to do great things. Every night's not going to be like this, I know that. But at the same time, 
that's what you're going to see is that type of player. I, I'm not talking about scores or stats, but he's going to play that way more times than not, just knowing him the last couple of years. Definitely not expecting the way, you know, it to, you know, the score to go as high as it did, but the fact that we, I thought we were really uh, firing on all cylinders in terms of well, the defense, I thought played him really, really good. And, but now we know what, what we're capable of, and now the goal is to continue to play at this kind of level. And the best news, the Lions had over 34,000 fans in the stands, many of them young kids and first-time CFL watchers. The Lions made the kind of impression that can only bring them back, something that has to make owner Amar Doman smile as he tries to rebuild this fan base. It feels great, you know, because we knew it was going to be a packed house in BC Place. We definitely wanted to give the people, you know, a reason to come back. And um, we obviously want to, you know, make a statement in this league and just continue to, to execute, you know, going into a bye week. We knew, like, empty the tank, you know, so you know, we got a week to rest now and prepare for, for our next opponent and just, just keep going, try to build off this. All right, baseball today from Detroit. Plenty of Jays fans in the stands making the short trip across the border. They all came to see this. Vladdy Guerrero Jr. jumping on a huge one. Launches one to left. 421 feet, 14th big fly of the year for Vladdy. 2-0 Jays. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. trying to find that great form he had last year. Had a good day, two for three, three RBI, including two coming in on this single up the middle. Jays pitchers combined on a two-hit shutout. 6-0 the final. And the Jays sitting second in the AL East 35 and 24 record. Women's World Under 18 hockey from Madison, Wisconsin, Canada, and Finland in the semis. First period, it's Jade Aginla. Yes, the daughter of the Hall of Famer, Jerome Aginla, just like dad, a right handed shot. Fires it in. 1 0 Canada. Third period tied at one. And this is a great goal. Madison Chandler, great speed to the outside, then a nifty little deep Canada. It beats Finland 2-1 to one to advance to the gold medal game tomorrow against either the USA or Sweden. He's waving. It's the Azerbaijan Grand Prix in 2022 and it's lights out and away we go. Ferrari's Charles Leclerc had earned a pole position but Sergio Perez had a better start today at the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. It was just the beginning of a tough day for Ferrari. After Carlos Sainz uh, retired on lap 9, Leclerc had smoke pouring out of his car on lap 20. And that was the end of his race. So a double DNF for Ferrari, devastating for Leclerc, who was already trailing Max Verstappen by 9 points coming into this race for the driver's title. And that gap is now stretched to 34 because Verstappen takes the checkered flag, winning in Baku. Sergio Perez, George Russell join him on the podium. Ferrari will have a week to fix their issues. The Canadian Grand Prix in Montreal next weekend, which is always fun to watch. There you go. Going to be a good show there, mm -hmm. too. All right, thanks very much, yeah. Barry. Coming up next, props for a BC company changing the game in 3D printing. Global BC is proud to support RBC Race for the Kids Sunday, June 12th in support of the BC Children's Hospital Foundation. Join runners and walkers of all ages, in person or virtually, having fun and raising funds to help BC kids. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you in part by Van Cam Freightways. BC owned and operated for 75 years. A Vancouver company is pushing the limits of what's possible in 3D printing, and some of the advancements came about when they were pushed in a new direction by the pandemic. Jay Durant shows us how the company got the attention of Hollywood in This is BC. 
All this is made with that. It's strong, it's cheap, it prints really well. Since its inception in 2018, Pantheon Design has slowly been building up its client base. We did everything from build uh, concept vehicles for automakers to like really develop uh, and manufacture medical devices. This is Peacemaker Mask. But when orders slowed during the pandemic, the company shifted its focus to the TV film industry. You want to see something cool? Soon they were cranking out a long list of props for productions like The Atom Project on Netflix. The shock batons that the police were holding, we did the rifles, we did the hoverboards. To accommodate the need for so many items, they reinvented the technology on their 3D printers to improve speed. Something like this big, a housing enclosure, instead of taking what you should have been three, four days to print, we can make this overnight. And it's strong enough that you can like, and it's fine. And made modifications so the products were no longer just basic prototypes, but ready to use pieces with great detail. Screw it. Oh. 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 This is one of the time rifles from the Atom Project. And this is literally what it looks like coming off our printer. Now, after the improvements, instead of just making these parts, they've started selling their souped-up printers to manufacturers. Everyone's seeing the quality of the products our printers can make, and that with the combination of reliability and ease of use is everything they've been looking for in the industry for the last decade. Pantheon has a number of pending patents and is branching out to automotive and aerospace companies. But after having fun with a little sci-fi experience, the co-founders are ready for any prop shopping list that comes their way. We still would take on a film job if someone called and said, hey, make us another really cool gun, you know? It's a, yeah. it's a nice break from the engineering work for us. This bag of toys you love so much? Yeah. Being a geek is about to pay off. Jay Durant, Global News. Straight up, I can't no. hear anything. I don't have Very cool, yeah. <laughs> Why do we Barry, have a minute extra? Barry, oh, we're on, Bear. Barry, hold on. Oh, sorry. Because <laughs> so, <laughs> i got to say this. Someone who has a, if you know That's someone live, who, has a, baby. who has a great story to tell or something that you want to share with the rest of us at BC, when you're supposed to, please right. uh, email your ideas to Jay at yeah, this see, BC at globalnews.ca. Okay, go. Okay, people ask us, are you guys doing that live? Yeah, we are. Sometimes like I'll just sometimes I'll just make a mistake to make it look like we're doing it live. Yeah, here's, and we're spread out, right? Yeah, so like, yeah, get, like going. I can see Barry. I can't have an ear today, kind of, so I'm, I'm. Yeah, he doesn't have his ears in. All right, we've got 40 seconds to go over okay, some man. of the very serious issues coming up in weather for some people. Hey, Barry, I'm going to take this one away. Just give Thank me a you. second here. Here we go. Uh, extra, uh, flood watch and concerns. That's really for the southern half of the province. It's Monday leading in towards our Tuesday. Southeastern corners of Elk Valley, 15 up to 80 millimeters as possible. Snow, if you're traveling along the mountain passes, will be for the Kootenai Pass late tomorrow night. So we're keeping a close eye. Flood concerns will be for the southern interior. For us across Metro Vancouver, maybe a few isolated showers in the mix. And then temperatures will start to warm up towards the end of the week. All right, we'll keep an eye on that on the news hour tomorrow too. Special birthday shout out to my nephew Colton. Happy birthday, buddy. Happy birthday. Thanks Happy for birthday. watching everybody. Have a good Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid.
<laughs> For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.